Hey, everybody, Gail Craft here, and I'm so thrilled to introduce to you this speaker today, Sierra Melcher. Sierra and I have something in common, and that is this thing called dyslexia. Her and I talk about what that's like growing up and learning how to navigate differently than everybody else in order to make it through school. This is an amazing story. This is a woman who is extremely dyslexic and yet is the founder of two publishing firms helping people write their books and get them out there. This is going to be a fun one, guys. Thank you for joining me. Here's Sierra. Hello, everybody. Gail Craft here from the Empowering Process Podcast. And thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Sierra Melcher, who was from the U.S., but now lives in Colombia. And we might even talk about that. Who knows? So Sierra is a best-selling author, and we'll talk about the miracle of that, an international speaker, an educator, and she is the founder of Red Thread Publishing, LLC, which is an all-female publishing company, which has an amazing mission to support 10,000 women to become successful published authors and thought leaders. And so she offers classes and coaching and stuff like that, but we're going to talk a little bit about how she got here and then a little bit more about her business near the end. So welcome to the Empowering Process, Sierra. Thank you, Gail. It's great to be here. It's going to be so much fun. So we're going to talk about neurodiversity. So <laughs> we'll start with something light and fun. Yeah, light and fun. Neurodiversity. And in this case, we both have what's termed as dyslexia. Now, when I was a child, that was not diagnosed. And I thought it was normal. Like if you were reading a book and I was on the other side, I would be reading it upside down and thinking that's normal. I mean, doesn't everybody do that, right? Um, <laughs> and sometimes I would be reading something and then when I was done, I would go back and reread it because I realized that the story that I read was the story that I created, not the story that my eye, right? <laughs> this happens to me all the time. I read a sign and I'm like, that's hilarious. <laughs> and then I look at it and I'm like, no, that's just a sign. It's just like no, turn left. No. I'm like, that's not nearly as funny as it was the first time. Oh, oh my God. Like, yes. The first time that I went through Butte, Montana, I went like, go and pass the butt. But then it's not funny anymore. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, so for me, I really struggled in the lower grades because those are the years where you know, spelling is so important and your numbers, you know, math is so important. You know, I I know the answer is 32, but I'm going to write 23. The, the numbers are there. I mean, they're, they're there. They're both there, right? Um, And not, not realizing that the struggling, and I mean, I can be remember being put in the corner, right? Being punished, right? For the struggle that I was going through. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that there was a process I could go through that was so successful. Plus, I think in the upper grades, 
those little minor details don't matter quite so much as much yeah. right right it's it's more um it's detailed but on a broader stroke yeah. approach and you know that didn't stop me from being a leader by the time i was 28 in a very prestigious organization it had nothing to do with that in fact because i had to struggle i became so creative that it was natural for me to look for answers outside the box and i thought that was normal too right, right? so it let's talk normal. yeah it well it was it, it is my normal so let's talk about what you were going through as a child and then how that progressed and actually changed your life yeah um so i was borderline dyslexic i did get tested but i wasn't dyslexic enough right okay so just like off but not off enough um before we go any further, I just have to say what a cruel joke the word dyslexia is. I can't spell it. <laughs> no one who is dyslexic can either really say it easily or spell it. What? Come on. Right? Just, right? Right. So I grew up genuinely not knowing how to read. Could not figure out how to decode the written word, did not get it. And I'm sorry, but English is hard. I live in, a, I live in Colombia, Spanish, every letter makes one sound. And when you know what the sound is, that's how to, so there you go. Forever, forever. forever. Where English is, here's the are. rule, but no, 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 no. Except when it's not a rule, except when there's another rule and then even the exceptions have two more exceptions. And this is what it sounds like when you're hanging out with these people. And this is what this letter sounds like when it's hanging out with those people. And I'm just like, come on. So I had a great vocabulary. I had a, a great engaged brain and I spent probably too much time with adults growing up. And so I had this intelligence, but it wasn't the right kind of intelligence for the world because if you can't read people think that you're sort of dumb and you know what i thought i was sort of dumb right because you were labeled that way like yes. i couldn't read and you know i don't have very many memories from growing up but i remember not getting to go to recess because i got to go to the special reading class oh yay and in second grade there were some kids in the reading class with me but by the time i was in the fifth grade i was the only special special person left and it didn't feel good because instead of getting to like run around, I you were punished. Every everyone knew that I can't read. Didn't get it. Yeah. Um, I grew up in went to a public school in Boston, and I adapted as you did too. For there was a phase of my adaptation where, you know, standardized tests. I just started making Christmas tree puzzles on on the filling in the bubbles to make them look pretty. And I found out that I did it better when I did that than when I tried to read or tried to get the answer right. And so I just started, I was like the first to finish. Why was I the first to finish? Because I didn't read any of the questions. Right. And so I learned actually a really interesting lesson, which was to not try. It wasn't maybe the best lesson, but I very deeply in me had a story that 
I wasn't smart. I wouldn't be successful and that trying got you nowhere. Um, interestingly enough, um, and this circles back to something you just said, and I believe is the theme of this com these conversations is that adversity taught me to be stronger, that I did, I still went to school and I still, I tried, but not in the way that, you know, I should have, like I should have gotten better at reading. I didn't, I got better at everything else. And to feel in You that, adapted. I did. Um, and by the time I got to high school, I was working harder than anybody else. So much harder, um, just to scrape by. <laughs> like I was working harder for that C than somebody was for their A. But when in, in elementary school, the lesson was don't try. By the time I was in high school, trying set me apart and it made me really, really strong. And I still, I'm baffled by the fact that I went from being a dyslexic who in middle school really couldn't read to a graduating high school full stop to then eventually running a writing a book and then running a publishing company and I'm like how what so so here's the funny thing I was reading adult books I would say fourth and fifth grade I would go to the library and I was not in the children's section right. and I would bring books home. And my father would say, when you're done with that, can I re read it before you return? it?" <laughs> nice. Right. Um, and I don't know if I read every word correctly because I know I don't today. So I'm sure I didn't then. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and, and as I said earlier, you know, I will read and then, maybe have to go back and reread it because I know that I made up the story. Yeah, the story was better when I told it. So Right, right, because my yeah. mind, I would get tired from reading, yeah. right, because of the struggle of getting those words together. Um, so I enjoyed the stories. I enjoyed reading, but I didn't enjoy the struggle. But I was determined, and I think the determination, like you, came around high school age. Mm, yeah, high school age. Mm -hmm. I was determined to write, write poetry, write stories, right, yeah. um, to express myself. And not necessarily share it with anybody. Right. Right. And so it didn't matter if I didn't share it with anybody, whether or not I had the I before the E, Right. Look I knew what the word me. was supposed to I say. I can read it, right? Right? Yeah. Right? So, so you, you get out of high school learning how to struggle, right? And adapt. Yeah. And how to be creative. And then what? My story? I sort of, well... I became a teacher for 15 years, actually, because mm -hmm. I had a few good teachers, but I also, maybe even more than that, I saw a lot of teachers being those people who are really good at things naturally. And so not as understanding or empathetic or supportive, actually teaching someone how to do something. They just, they were really good at teaching the people who already knew how to do it 
to keep doing it. And I became a teacher for those people in between yeah, who didn't get it, but could get it. If somebody cared enough to present it differently, explain it long enough, repeat it, have them doing jumping jacks while they were learning it, whatever, right? To take the store, take the everything out of education and make it about learning and not about doing it a certain way. And I loved being a teacher. Um, I ended up teaching chemistry, having taken this much chemistry in high school. <laughs> Zero. Right? But I also told my students, I've never taken chemistry. You all, I mean, I was filling in. It's like, you, you've taken four months of chemistry. You already know more chemistry than I do. But you know what I know? I know what you need to know tomorrow. Right. And I don't think any teacher had ever been so honest with them that they listened to me. And I said, put on your goggles. I actually do not know what's going to happen when we put, when we do this experiment. Please put your right? goggles on. Yes, let's I be safe. I haven't done this for 35 years in a row. Right. And it right. was a different approach. Um, and in a lot of ways, I healed my own learning scars by by making it up, right? What do we have to do to learn this? No, right. it's not going to be this way. My my Colombian students, I taught, I ended up teaching in Vermont and California, in China, and for a couple of years in Colombia. So different cultures, different ages, different languages. Um, and the word that I even had to have to have them translate it back to me, they're like, the students always said to their parents that, yeah, Miss Sierra is the most didactical. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Didactic, interactive, playful, engaging teacher. And, and that was great. And I felt, I loved that compliment. But it was because I was learning some of that stuff right alongside them. Like, I can teach this to you today because I learned it last night. You know, I... um I used to manage a bunch of trainers in this large insurance company. And I fortunately had my trainers create a trainer's manual, mm -hmm. right? And one of my trainers, this was in Boston. You know the building. It has lights on it. Um, <laughs> Maybe didn't I was come, a kid in Boston. Yeah. Didn't come in. And... Um, so I had to cover for her a subject that I had no clue about. Mm -hmm. So I did exactly what you did. I actually sat on the table in front of the students, opened up the teacher's manual and said, we're going to learn this together if that's okay with you. Yeah. And that level of honesty. And the thing is, is because of that, you got creative. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you made it fun. So you were showing them how you learn. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so why did you get out of teaching? What happened? Um, the very quick of it is the education system's not really designed for learning. And I meant to take a sabbatical and that was nine years ago. I, I take 
the best parts of what I did in my classroom teaching into the work that I do now. I teach people how to write. I teach mm -hmm. people how to publish, how to become entrepreneurs and authorpreneurs. I teach people how to market their book and market themselves. Things I definitely didn't know how to do 10 years ago. I can now not only say, here's what it looks like you need to do. I can break it down for you so you can know how to do it for yourself. And it might even be occasionally fun. Um, and so I, I keep, I'm still a teacher. It's in a very different context. Um, and I get to make not the rules so much, but whereas education has lost its way a little bit. A lot of it. A lot of it. Publishing. Mm -hmm. um, I opened Red Thread Publishing because partially because I was a history teacher and there were not enough women's voices. There were not enough non-white stories to share. And so I ended up, despite my best efforts, perpetuating this very narrow story of who we are as humans. And okay, well, so now we have a mission to support 10,000 women to become successful authorpreneurs and thought leaders to share their stories so that we can have a richer, more diverse sense of who we are as a people, not just again, who we're supposed to be, right? Like the neuro normal and the rich white and the, you know, like let's change the story. And how do you change the story? I was not successful in changing the educational system of the world. Okay. But if we change who's telling the story, then I feel like we're, we're front loading the whole process to. So Socrates said that education is bringing the information outside, out of you, not pouring in. Mm -hmm. We already have wisdom. So we much. Are, Young people have so much wisdom. Right. And when we allow the expression of that wisdom, children will floor you. Yeah. Because they haven't yet built the walls up that no, they're not supposed to know this. Yeah. Right. So so for me, the key to, to my successes, because I've had, you know, I've had some major failures because I will try anything. And I've had some major successes, right? Yeah. Um, so both have been because I have no idea what I'm doing, but you know what? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. I'm going to go do it. And what's the worst that could happen? I've had the worst happen. I have I lost failed. my home, my sure. business, yeah. I, right? I was thinking of selling pencils on the street at one point. I need to get food. How am I going to do that? Right. And I was able to turn that around. So I'm not afraid of being in those situations because I've been there. Right. Right. And I think part of, of that comes from the fact that I had to struggle so much in my younger years just to be, I want to say heard, but that's not the right word, just to be seen. Yeah. Just to be seen. Um. You know, then I would do things to be seen in a negative way. 
mm-hmm. you don't see me in a positive way, because right. obviously I'm not smart, right? How else can I be seen then? Oh, let me go to so the many local. Ways. Oh right. my God, let me go to the local store and start stealing and see if I get caught. Oops, I did. Whoop. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just, you know, thing after thing after thing until I um, I found family and, uh, you know, that I was a, a gang kid in, in Boston, quite frankly. Um, and th- that straightened me out in, a, in some ways. Mm hmm. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to leave the inner city because yeah. otherwise I would never have left the gang. Yeah. Right. Right. And that experience was key to me being a successful leader mm. because we worked as a team. Right. As the, as the gang, there wasn't a leader per se. Right. I'm sure there was, but I never really saw it us as a hierarchy I saw us as a like an amoeba and having a leader and and being in a hierarchy are not always the same thing no system of keeping some people out displaced whereas we're all in this together and we survive if we survive like we all have to work which also is true about a hierarchy but the hierarchies are designed to keep the bottom at the bottom and the top at the top and Right. Which was why I was so successful in business, because I did not follow that model. Right. Right. Um, And it was the key to my failure as well. Because if I didn't follow that model, that meant I didn't fit into that model either. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But again, because of the neurodiversity and the way that I grew up, there was no way I was going to fit into any mold. Right. It, It just didn't feel right. Right. And so neither do you. No, I one of the things that we mentioned before we started recording was sort of how how this how we show up in these stories and how it changes over time. And I think the the hardest part of my struggle was in the middle when I I was trying not to adapt. I was trying to be the way I was supposed to be. And, and that's where I saw the least progress and the least growth um, and the least success because when you're young and you grow up and you don't know, okay, you've said it, like, I didn't know that everybody didn't work like this. Right. I thought everybody was, th- this is how all brains work. Why would I think or notice or care about how your brain works? Everyone right? works right? right? Right. Um, and so you learn how to do what you learn how to do, but there's that sort of awareness of, oh, not everybody works like this. Now I'm different. I should work the way you work and abandon all of the things that I've adapted to or the ways that work for me. No, I need to leave all that behind. And actually I was even on a call with a writer in our community today about exactly this. She's, she's like, I this is how my, I work. And I said, amazing, fantastic. She's like, really? I thought maybe I was doing it wrong or I was crazy. I said, you know what? If it works for you, it can't be wrong. Exactly. And And that's why the school system doesn't work. Any system doesn't work. So many, I even see this in, in other writing coaches and publishing. And they're like, do it this way. 
this works for me. If you copy my system exactly, you will be successful. B S. That doesn't. I failed. It doesn't. Yeah. And then I see this true for women, especially, but maybe it's true for all people. But when women fail following someone else's system, it's I failed because there's something wrong with me, not because I followed the wrong system or maybe there's something even wrong with the system. It's some, it must be something wrong with me. I'm broken. That I'm broken. And it's not, so many women have come one way or another to us. And I'm like, how long have you wanted to write a book? How long has this story been in you? 10 years, 20 years. My whole life. Right? Forever. And we always talk about a book like a baby. No one wants to be pregnant with a baby for 20 years. There is a point where that is just no longer. Even an elephant. Right? It's just there and it it doesn't get attention. It doesn't get to grow. It's just there and you carry it around with you and occasionally get to beat yourself up about it, about how you're not a writer or you'll never be any good or whatever the story is. Instead of saying, oh, it just, I didn't have a system that worked for me, whether that system came from within you or you found a system that actually worked. Um, and so I always talk to, to folks about what works for you. That's the system. Cool. Use that. And I'm also very conscious sometimes when I teach something, I say, you know, if you hear yourself saying, well, Sierra said I'm supposed to do it this way and it's not working for you, I need you to call yourself out on that because that's just, again, using me. We're so good at, at finding those external systems and using them either as things to try and then fail at and then using that as an excuse to not move forward. It's, it's hard to break even that cycle of there's a right way to do something and there's a wrong way to do something. So one of the things that I learned in my very first, no, my second coaching degree um, is that my job is to, like I said, education is to get the information out of you. Right. Because if you say it, you'll do it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes... I will provide guidance or information. And I will say, so you can you can have this, Sierra, if you want. I will say, I'm taking my coaching hat off mm-hmm. and putting my consulting hat on. Mm-hmm. What that means, and I, I educate my folks when, before we start, when I say that, that you can take what I have to say and never do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Or you can try it, and if it doesn't work, abandon it. Because the only expert is is you. Is not you. Me, right. Not me. Right. Don't let me be the expert. I'm and not. override yourself. Right. Like I'm ever. not the expert of you. I'm the expert of me. Right. That's all I can ever hope to be. Right. But That's I can help whatever. you get there. Right. Right. And help you get there. And one of, one of, I have so many pet peeves and one of them is, um, the neurodiversity labels like dyslexia. Um, what we end up doing when we label ourselves is we create separation, hmm. right? And we create the illusion that we're broken. 
right? My brain doesn't work right. Well, how, who the hell said that? Maybe my um, brain works right. perfect in that your brain is the one that's off track, right? Right. But, you know, that's easy for me to say as an adult is I've gone through a lot of transformational experiences with right. getting rid of all of, all not all, but as much garbage as possible. But a child who is labeled with neurodiversity issues, whatever they are, now has to carry like you did. Oh, so I don't get to go out to recess. I get to practice reading. Now I'm labeled as being stupid. Well, and then self-labeled, which is even more damaging. I right, think. right. Because the because, stories we tell. Right, I'm not good like enough. Us. I can't go out and play. Oh, here I right. am again. Right, yeah. Yeah. right. And so, you know, and me, I was put in the corner because I wasn't, you know, reading. So one yeah. of one of my other problems, surprise, surprise, is that I'm a chatterbox. And I will chatter when I'm bored. Hmm. And because I loved that when you were in school. Oh, oh my, my God. So like I said, so and I'll give you a, a a middle school, was it middle school or high school? It was around that time. Anyway, um, but I listen and I watch. So I learn that way, right? I also have to move. So I'm um, audio kinetic, right? Yep. So I listen and I have to move. So my leg is going and I'm listening. And I might write a couple of notes. But then when you've presented it once, I got it. Right. Move on. But that's not what teaching does. They rehash it and rehash it and rehash it. So I'm going to start talking because I've got it. Right. Right. And so um, I can remember one teacher throwing an eraser at me to shut me up. And I'm like, well, when you start talking about something of interest, I will. Because <laughs> I was done. And then my science teacher pulled me to the front of the class thinking that would shut me up. I talked to her. <laughs> right. And so, you know, this is understanding learning styles. And that's one of the adaptive techniques yeah. I got, right, was focusing on the audio yeah. and not realizing that my leg was always bouncing up and down because I had to be moving in order to anchor in the learning. Right. Like so, sometimes I'll walk, I'll pace while listening to, to like going for a walk and listening to a, a, a YouTube. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, that is like anchored in. Yep. Right. So know your style. Right. Right. And then embrace it and, and forget everything else. That's why I'm sure you, you teach in a variety of manners. I just released a book and um, called Journey to Enlightenment. And that book has the chapter of blah, 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 blah. At the end of the chapter, it's like, okay, so here's an exercise if you want to anchor it in. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, here's an empowering question. Right. Which if, oh, and here's a link to a meditation. Right. Right, so there's a bunch of different modalities. Yeah. And you can do all of them or none of them. Right. Because I know the reason I wrote that book is to help people take some woo-woo ideas and bring them into how does that affect me today? 
You don't have to understand the woo. You have to integrate the woo. Yeah. Right. And so how do you do that? Right. And all of this is because I've had to integrate. Yeah. In my life. So where are we going with this? Well, I was just going to say that I think we have a cultural story that struggle is a bad thing. And again, BS, you go to the gym and you lift weights. What are you doing? Well, you're building muscle so you can be stronger. So you're struggling, you're sweating, you're quite possibly miserable. But you you are literally ripping your muscles. Exactly. You got to tear it apart to make it stronger. And, and we get it in certain contexts, but it doesn't translate to the other parts of our lives, right? Of course, I'm going to go to the gym and I, I'm going to sweat and I'm going to be miserable and I'm going to be stronger and I'm going to feel better for it. But if it's reading or something else, we have these, again, in self-imposed limitations, these stories that say, I'm not going to go make a mess of it. I don't want to do, I don't want to do it if I'm going to fail, which guess what? That's sort of how you look. It's how you learned in the beginning and it's how you learn now. So be willing to go make a mess, be willing to screw it up, completely fall on your face and fail. And I, because it's those things now, it was true, you know, when I was growing up, but it's as true and more true in business, in writing, in parenting, in relationships, in every single aspect of your life. If you play it safe and wait until you know how to get it right, you're never going to get anything done. And you can accelerate your progress, actually, by being willing to screw it up. Um, Take a step. Any step. So, I used to run women's circles and that this, this sort of chant kept on, you know, I take one step forward and then I take two steps back. And it's this story of how hard life is and how every effort is met with so much opposition. And I live in South America, as you said, and I was like, oh, that sounds like salsa. It's like one step forward and two steps back and then uh, yeah, right forward and two steps back. And so what if progress were just sort of this like a dance, shake, right? And it's a dance and you know it and it's not linear and your success and your progress does not have to be measured on a straight line, preferably not one that's a 45 degree angle because we all just have, again, have this story that progress looks a certain way and that success has a certain shape. But what if it's a circle? And what if multiple times in that circle, you're supposed to be face down because you tried something and it didn't work and that informed your next try? So for me, and again, and I wonder if it's because I became comfortable with struggle because that's what happens, right? In my entire life, and it still happens now, I will create chaos if it's too quiet, Mm -hmm. right? And so- Not enough disaster going on. I'll give you an example for, I I I manage teams. Why would you create- chaos in teams because you wake your staff up. Yep. How did I do that? Hey guys, we've been working in teams for the last year and a half. We're going to break that up and change the workflow. We're going to specialize, right? 
Then we do that for a little bit. It's like, oh, aren't we done specializing? We need to cross-function each other. So we're going back to teams, right? Mm -hmm. And did they hate me for it? Yes, but they woke up. Yep. Right? And so it's it's what do you need to do to keep your, your team from getting bored? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Making some changes. So I do that in my life. I change my bedroom constantly. I was just going to say, I rearrange my furniture every three months. And people are like, why do you do that? And I was like, well, because I feel like I just moved. I have, right? I have a new house. Right? It's nearly as hard as moving. So, and it's fresh. And if I like it, then I keep it for a little while. And if I don't like it, I can put it back. Right? I, without realizing it, two of the books that I've written talk about exactly what we're on. The very uh -huh. first one is this short little book, How Change Really Happens. Right. It is referring to nature and how plants are continuously growing without maybe looking like they're making progress, but they're making progress. How a dandelion can grow up through a sidewalk against all odds. And they're like, yeah, screw you. How a tree can grow right, you know, just as big. Um, and, and we understand those elements outside of ourselves. But again, there's this breakdown between like, oh yeah, but I'm different. Well, we I, don't I incorporate the laws, of, the laws of nature don't apply to me. Like, no uh -huh. kidding. My favorite is we've all gone to, to science and we yeah. have all learned about the atoms and that everything is made up of energy, but right. not me, but not me. No, no, definitely not. No. Right. Right. Yeah. As soon as, and again, this is part of that, my recent book, as soon as we, as soon as I, so I don't want to say we, as soon as I integrated that knowledge into I am little molecules right. bouncing off each other and the little electrons bouncing off each other, then I'm no different than the glass of water or the table or yeah. the wind. Yeah. I'm no different except that I know that I am self-aware. I don't know if the wind is self-aware. It's never spoken to me. Right. It could be. At yeah. its level, yeah, right? Um, so the only difference is I make up stories and that's what's right. different about humans. Right. We are the only creature on earth that creates stories. Yeah. And some of them we tell ourselves. And so therefore we have the power to change by changing our story. Exactly. So what's the other book that you're about to hold up? So the other book is actually my most recent baby, and this is inspired by dyslexia a tiny bit, typo, The mm -hmm. Art of Imperfect Creation, Permission to Do It Badly. And it's it links very much to what we're talking about. And this is for aspiring writers, and it has definitely pages where you're supposed to like, you're supposed to write here now, go doodle, go make a mess, like engage on the page. Um, because for so long, no matter how much I teach, aspiring authors come and they're like, yeah, I'm going to write my book, but I still want you to tell me how to do it right. Okay. And, and, and this story we have about how to tell our story and or what it's going to look like once we've done that is such an obstacle. It is such an obstacle. Um, and we talk about, so we talk about this in two different ways. One is 
the art of drafting is very different than the art of editing. And so we don't even talk about writing because writing, I have a story that writing is what I do when I'm feeling very smart and holier than thou. And it comes out beautifully the first time and it's ready for publishing and it's going to change the world just like that. <laughs> you can imagine how frustrating it is to sit down to draft something when I think I'm writing a final draft masterpiece in the 40 minutes that I have between when I got off this podcast with you and when my daughter gets home. I'm like, this is not nearly as good as it is in my head. I must be terrible. So editing is a wonderful thing. It is what we do with that shitty draft that we have to do first. And and so we first of all, we break writing into two pieces and use proper names for it, right? Because I'm dyslexic, we're gonna call things what they are. This is not writing, this is drafting, and this is editing. Okay? So very funny because I call my books, blah, 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 draft. Yeah. I label it draft Good. so that I know that Permission I, to can, badly. I can just throw mud against the wall and yeah. hope it sticks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so because when we give ourselves that permission to do it badly, when we recognize that the first version has to be the worst version, those two words rhyme, like you don't want your third version to be your worst version. Right. So you're definitely, the new goal is to go do it so badly that you can only make it better from there. And that is just the, the absolute opposite objective that most people set out for. They're like, I'm going to do it great. No, no, please don't. Go make a mess. Go tear, before you rearrange your room, you have to tear it apart. Go make the mess. Before my book goes to an editor, mm. I've already gone through it 12 times. Of course. But the first time, it's like, like I said, I, I literally, and then when I go through it the next time, it's like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Right. And only some of it sticks. And that's right. Okay. And then I'll read it again and go, still don't know what I was thinking. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but every once in a while, you're like, oh, that's good. I like that. Right. Did that come from me? Right. right. So, so the book that I'm working on now, which is about my journey that I'm going through right now, and I'm yeah. talking about my experiences right and some of them are amazing and some of them are you know really hell um and i was looking at the chapters and some of them are like a page and a half to well two pages maybe three i'm like well chapters should be longer and then i stopped i went your chapter is going to be exactly what your chapter is going to be stop okay. judging your chapters and just put the story out there this is fascinating because we all have so many stories about what is good Right. It's going to be good if it's long. It's only good if it's this. It's only good if it's that. And uh, <laughs> um, and it's never going to be written if we have a lot of stories about what makes it good. Right. Because right. they conflict. Absolutely. They definitely conflict. And we're always measuring an early draft versus what somebody else has written. You know, everything we've ever read has been edited countless times, polished, published. It's, I don't know. You, It's like learning how to bake cookies because I baked cookies yesterday and then being like, well, they're not as good as that bakery that I went to in New York City. 
I should maybe just never bake cookies again. Uh, no, that's it. You can't compare a first attempt to something somebody's perfected and have countless people working on. And, and so just tearing down these stories, going back to neurodivergency of like, what is good? What is normal? How it should be? Um, what's okay and what's not okay? And we live in this world that keeps telling us that we're not the expert. We're not the one who should be able to make that distinction one way or another. And that's a lie. And talking about the empowering process. That's a lie. Yes. The empowering process is I get to decide. Right. 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 And I think it took me a long time to get there. Of course. It, 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 right. Uh, I'll, I'll, and I mean to really get there. Right. I visit there and I still like leave and then come back. Um, I don't get thrown out as much as I, I used to, but, you know, but I, I, I will notice that I'm not there and be like, oh, no, wait a minute. I need to get back home. <laughs> I need to get back home because I know that all of the power that ever was and ever will be is here now. Hmm. That's in my book. And that's here. Yeah. Right. And if I believe that, which I do. Then it's true. Then it's true. And power versus force, which is my favorite book, by the way, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, tells me that or shows me the difference. And we've been trained to be forceful. Yep. There's a difference between. Right. If I'm not pushing really hard, it's probably right. Not right right it takes hard work to succeed it takes you know that's not true it takes tenacity right it takes bravery right it takes the willingness to dive in when you don't know if there's water in the pool right and sometimes you splat right yeah. Yeah. right um but and then get up and fix your broken bones and dive again yeah right which right. is harder the second time, right? Yes and no. Yes and no. Because the second time you have information that you didn't have the first time. And and you know you survived. Right. And and that's, uh, so I have an experiment to share with you, which I just put out on Facebook uh, about a week or so ago. This is a Har Harvard, Harvard scientist. This is a true experiment. Um, took some rats and put them in some water to swim. And after about 20 minutes, they were drowning. So they yeah. took the rats out, actually mice, not rats, and let them like rest. The next day they put them in, they swam for 60 hours because they knew that they were saved before. Mm -hmm. So they I'm had- Swimming until I'm safe, yeah. Right, that they had a belief that they were safe. Yep. If a mouse can do it, why can't I? Of course I can't. Right. And that, again, if it weren't for the struggle as a child and as a as a young adult. Right. And even, you know. Even today, I can't put a post out there that's clean. <laughs> I try not happening. But again, like, OK, and so what? 
because right. the alternative is to not put posts out because they're not ready yet. And right. then we're just never going to get there. Right. Then it'll never go out there. And I will tell you that my tribe does not send me messages about a typo. Some people do. And I will make a comment of it. Did you get the message right. of the post? Great. Right. <laughs> right? Because that's what is what matters. We are here to share our stories and to learn from each other in our stories and yeah. to experience what Abraham Hicks calls expansion right. because of our stories. And so if we're not sharing our stories, we're doing a disservice to ourselves, right? right? And so I love the fact that the very thing that you struggled with in your life is what you do as a career. <laughs> it is it, it is ironic. And in a million years, I would never have guessed this, but it is also the thing, I think maybe the same reason I loved teaching because it was learning was so hard for me. I love supporting authors to write and publish because yeah, I have the story that kept my story locked in me, my first book, for over 10 years. And so somebody can come to me and say, it's been 10, 12, 15. I'm like, yep, I, I got you. Right. And we can still get this book out this year. Right. 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 You know, and um, and so if someone wants to, if we could go on forever, Serena, oh, Sierra, if someone wants to get in touch with you, mm -hmm. how would they do that? The internet is an amazingly cool tool. Isn't I'm it? not always a super tech fan and I'm not an early adopter for all sorts of things. Excuse me. But I do love the internet. I have come around. Um, so redthreadbooks.com is our organization. Um, and we are on all of the platforms, but especially Facebook and Instagram and I love to talk to people about their stories, whether they are book form stories or otherwise, um, but especially anybody who has that niggling, that whisper that maybe is a shout somewhere in your mind of this is the story I really need to share, but I have no idea how, um, right. or this is the manuscript I've drafted and I have no idea how. Um, I love Or that. no one would be interested in my story everybody's got that voice, right? Everybody, you would be surprised. Everybody. Yep, yep. You definitely- I'll just welcome those people to the party with open arms. Yes, like, please, please. Because yes, yes. I, I have to tell you, so the first book I ever wrote was not personal, but yet it was. Mm -hmm. And that was about women in the business world rising in leadership roles and no longer being women. Mm -hmm. and how it's important for them to bring the femininity to the table. There are already men there, yeah. right? And here is what you're not bringing when you when you do that and yeah. why it's important for business to have balance, yeah. right? This was over a decade ago. And um, because I felt that business was imploding because they were not embracing the feminine, yep. I got fired. They were in there, but they weren't, well, there was still no feminine, yeah. Right. They, they were still, their masculine side was way too strong. Um, and then I didn't write for a long time. 
And then the next book that I wrote is, this is very interesting, The Empowering Process. This is when I was broke. Mm -hmm. I had no home, had lost my business. I mean, the big story, and I was ready to sell the pencils. Affirmations weren't working for me because I didn't believe them, right. right? Declarations weren't working for me. And so I said, well, I'm going to do empowering questions. It's very specifically structured. And they start with the presupposition that you're already doing something. Yeah. So it's like, what more? How else? Right. Who mm -hmm. else? Right. And your subconscious goes, oh, you're already doing that. Yes, and you are. Finding the evidence. Right. And so then you, your, your RAS opens up. And so I wrote the book, Granite 66 Empowering Questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I didn't write for a while. Last year, actually 2022. November 2022, a friend of mine does collaboratives. Would you like to do a chapter in my book? Sure. Another friend does a collaborative. Would you like to do a chapter in my book? Sure. So by the end of December, I had two chapters, those two books ready to go. And then I was doing a keynote, crafting the flow formula. And the guy who was writing it says, all of my speakers have a book for the VIPs. And, you know, the empowering process is not crafting the flow formula. Right. So threw together the crafting the flow formula, right? Got that done. And back to December, I started writing Journey to Enlightenment because I was being pulled to do so. Yeah. And that is the first book that I wrote that I literally wrote from downloads mm -hmm. right and so the book that i'm writing now is about um going through health through chemo it's it's my life through chemo i'm not going to talk about radiation or surgery or or that stuff it's it's what chemo does and and what it can do i mean i talk about the positive yeah. right i haven't had to shave my legs for four months <laughs> gotta count the wins where you can you gotta count the wins right haven't had to blow dry my hair right <laughs> yeah. right not worried about the frizz <laughs> right. right um but there are definitely uh you know physical negatives emotional negatives spiritual negatives um and then how i how i dealt with them because i'm a very spiritual person so i um had to admit what I was going through yeah. and find the gift. But none of this would have happened, none of it, if someone hadn't invited me back into the writing world mm -hmm. with that, just do one chapter, Gail. Right. You just one chapter. 2,000 words. Right, yeah. right. And so That's definitely- We've said more than that right now in the last hour. Right. right? Right. And so definitely reach out to Sierra. I will have this information in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to us on the Empowering Process podcast. If this really interested you, do let us know. Give us a thumbs up. If you have questions, put it in the comments. We'll be happy to get back to you. If you know someone who would absolutely learn from this, share it out to them. And as always, please do subscribe so you know when the next episode is available. Thank you, everybody. And goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Process Podcast. Be sure to visit Gail at gailcraft.com to learn more about how she serves thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and goal seekers. And remember, 
If you like this broadcast, be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.